Good morning, church. Great to see you today. Wonderful that you've joined us here in the, in the room on campus. And if you've joined us online this morning, way to get up, way to get going, way to go. We're thrilled that you've uh, joined us as well. As Pastor Glenn was mentioning, we've got a big night tonight with our junior, senior high ministry. If you're the parent of a sixth grader going to seventh, we'd like you to come tonight and get oriented with the program. That'll be meaningful to you from now on as your child goes through junior and senior high. We're also baptizing people all weekend. We uh, have set a goal this, this year. We're going, we want to baptize some uh, folks every month here at Union Chapel. So today's the day uh, for the month of May, and we have about 13 people we'll be baptizing uh, in our services this morning. So uh, that's something to look forward to at the end here. We are in the middle of the story. This is chapter 16. We're going to 31 chapters so that we're midway. Now, last week I mentioned don't fall into the black hole because these are like the dog days of the Old Testament <laughs> and, you, and you can lose your momentum. Don't do that. The Old Testament is about history. It's about poetry. It's about the prophets. And last week we talked about this prophet and this king in the, in the northern kingdom of Israel this uh, very bad king Ahaz and this great prophet Elijah. Today I want to take another snapshot, only now from the southern kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah, and a snapshot into the life of the prophet Isaiah and into the life of a king Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a righteous king. He was a good king. Woohoo! Finally, a good king. This is not easy to come up with. And so we're so grateful for this story. So uh, you can look on the screen with me. Let's begin. Uh, with just a glimpse of Isaiah the prophet. This is Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah actually has a theophany. He's in the temple in Jerusalem, and somehow the Spirit of God overcomes him, and, and we, we hear these words. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, that's, that's an important uh, marker in history, of course, but it's even more important when you understand the context because Uzziah was a good king. He ran well for a long time, but he didn't finish real well. And uncertainty and anxiety fills the nation every time there's a transition of kings. Because depending on whether or not the king was a righteous king and a good leader or unrighteous and led them into idolatry and all kinds of trouble, it made the people nervous. So in the year King Uzziah died, this, we could overlay that into our own times. I mean, is there any reason to be anxious about our culture or about social, political issues in our, in, our, in our world today? Of course, it's a very anxious time, lots of uncertainty, lots of confusion. And this was a similar time in the year King Uzziah died. The next phrase, he just said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Now, the Hebrew here can be interpreted, I saw the Lord, but there's also an article there that could be translated also. So it could have been translated, I also saw the Lord. So in the midst of chaos, confusion, anxiety, fear, worry, concern about the culture at large, I also saw the Lord. That's a good word for all of us, isn't it? Because God is still on his throne. He's still in the heavens. He's still in control and he is, he is overwatching us. And we can be confident of that. So I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Now, now, now imagine this. This is like an anthropomorphic vision, a theophany of God himself. 
you, he sees a throne. And seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. So you, so you, you, you see these manifestations in the vision that God has given Isaiah in this moment. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. These, these creatures, these angels called seraphim, this is the only place in the Bible where we see angels described as seraphim. Uh, the word seraphim literally means fiery ones. We read further, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling out to one another. So here are these, these angels on either side, just above the throne, as Isaiah is seeing this vision, and these, these angels are magnificent. These are not little pot-bellied tinkerbells floating around. These are, fire, these are the magnificent sons of God, uniquely created by God to dwell in the presence of God. These, these creatures are awesome. They are described as having six wings. It says with two of their wings, they're covering their faces. With two of their wings, they're covering their feet, their torso. And with two, they're flying. I imagine that these seraphim are magnificent creatures and large. So you can, you can hear their wings cutting the air and moving about, whirling about on either side of the throne of God. We ask the question, why are these creatures uniquely designed and fashioned, created to dwell in the presence of God? Why are they covering their faces? I, I, we are left to speculate, but I think I know the answer. These angels, however terrifying and wonderful they are, they realize that they are not fit to actually place their eyes upon God. We're not worthy to look upon God. And so they cover their faces. They also cover their feet, their torso, implying that neither are they fit to see God nor to be seen by God. So they cover their faces so as not to look upon God and cover the rest of their bodies so as not to be looked upon by God. We're starting to get a, an image here, a picture of who God really is. You know, in America today, we have a, a tiny little God. He's, he's, a, he's a happy little God. He's a, he's a country club kind of God. He's, uh, if he exists, you know, he's really not relevant. He's not really interested in what we do. He's, he's uh, not concerned about how we live or the choices we make. He's, he's, uh, he, he, he's only interested in our happiness and our fulfillment and making sure everything's good with us. And, and, and so certainly there's no accountability that he requires at any point now or in the future. And he's a tiny little God. And he, and he, uh, he sits behind a big desk. Uh, he's got a nice big chair, but you can barely see him over the top of the desk because he's not, he's not very big. He's, he's, just a, he's just a curious little God in America. But Isaiah sees God as he is. This is, this is a God whose presence overwhelms magnificent creatures designed to dwell in his presence. They whirl about 
either side of the throne, and the scripture says to us, they call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So this isn't God speaking. God hasn't uttered a word so far in the vision. These are the angels who in antiphonal response are calling out to each other, one on one side of the throne. Again, and how long have they, how long have they been doing this? Before time, in all of eternity. They call out one to the other, holy, holy. I said, he's holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in antiphonal response, the other, the other angel says, yes, yes, he's holy. Holy, holy, Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the voice of the angels, not the voice of God, but at the voice of the angels, the foundations of the temple begin to shake and the whole place fills with the glory of God. It's awesome. It's astonishing. It's amazing. I want to submit to us this morning that this is God as he is, not as we imagine him or fashion him in our own image here in our culture in America. This is, the, this is a God who dwells in light. This is a God who is a consuming fire. He is greater than great and beyond our comprehension. He's an, he's an awesome God. Praise, praise be to his name. So Isaiah gets a, gets a glimpse of Almighty God. You know, if you ever tried to answer the question, if you could give the world a glimpse of anything, what would it be? If I had the, if I had the power to give people in the United States or people of our world a glimpse of anything, it would be, it would be this. Let them see God as he really is. I promise you it would change our perspective on everything. So Isaiah now caught up in this moment. We can't even imagine, but try to comprehend if we can. He's caught up in this moment. And now Isaiah, in the, in, in the presence of God, he now realizes himself. He sees God and he sees now himself. He says in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah, in seeing God as he is, realizes who he really is. Now remember, this is Isaiah the prophet. This isn't some neophyte. This isn't some beginner. This isn't some guy trying to figure out who he is in the world. He knows who he is. He's a prophet of God. He has very great stature. He's recognized throughout the nation. He's the confidant of kings. He has a school of prophets. He, he's training the next generation of prophets. And so he has stature and influence. He's at, the top of the, he's at the top of the food chain in the spiritual life of the nation. And now he sees himself as a sinful man, a man who is now in the presence of God undone. His, his joints go slack. He begins to tremble. The, the whole building's trembling. Now, I imagine he's trembling. 
and know what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, he says, with a live coal in his hand, watch the transition, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is curious, isn't it? Here comes one of these angels. That w- this, would be enough. this would be enough to make you dive under the chair, right? Here comes one of these seraphim toward you with a coal from the altar in his hand. And it looks like he wants to touch you with it. And so, oh my gosh. So you're just, he, I, I see him in the fetal position, you know, just not wanting to look, not wanting to bear it. And here comes this angel. But note, the angel has removed this coal from the altar of God with tongs. What does that imply? Too hot. It's too hot. It's too bright. It's too much. It can't be touched. It, it, will, it will consume you. It will damage you. It will harm you if you dare touch it. And so with tongs, he removes it from the altar. But as he approaches Isaiah with it, it's now been transferred to his hand. Here's what it says. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken, is taken away and your sin atoned for. Amazing. What can, we, what can we surmise from this transition and from this touch? Could it be that the altar of God is so holy? It is so great. It is so pure. It is so powerful. It is so hot that you dare not touch it with your flesh. But that the lips of man, men and women like you and me, are so needy, so vulnerable, so tender, that it requires a personal touch and intimate grace. And I would submit to you today, friends, no matter where you are on the spectrum of life, you may be up and happy, you may be down and sad, no matter where you are on the continuum, that the grace of Almighty God, who is a great God, a magnificent God, uh, an awesome God in every way, is willing and available to stoop down to where you live and at the point of your need, as needy and dark and tender and vulnerable as you may be in that moment, the grace of God is willing to touch you in an intimate way and meet you at the point of your need. Praise God. Praise him. Isaiah sees God. Isaiah sees himself. And now Isaiah notices the world around him. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Now this is, this is a, the classic point of reference here when this passage is, is often uh, used as a reference for teaching or preaching that Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. I think Isaiah is in the fetal position, cowering in a corner somewhere. And so now for the first time in this vision, this theophany, we hear the voice of God. Before now, we have not heard God's voice, but now we hear God's voice. And God's voice says, who's going to represent me in this world in which we live? Who's going to continue to speak my words before the people? Who's going to call my people to faithfulness and honor, submission to my will? Who's going to go? 
I think Isaiah's in the corner and he maybe opens an eye with hands protecting himself. And maybe one finger <laughs> comes up. Uh, Lord, uh, look, I, I'm not much. I realize today for the first time in my life who I really am in relation to you. And I don't have any right to represent you in any way. But since you're asking, I'm willing. If you could use a humble, pathetic, no good for nothing prophet like me, I'm available. You can send me. It's quite a picture, a snapshot of the prophet Isaiah, isn't it? A moment that perhaps we can all identify or should seek to identify with. I want to just uh, move the snapshot away from the prophet now to the king Hezekiah. As I mentioned, a righteous king. A debate uh, broke out at a school board meeting around the issue of prayer. Some were for it and others were against it. And finally, a man stood to his feet and made a simple observation. He said, you're all missing the point. He said, as long as there are exams given in school, there will be prayer. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? Every last single one of us in this room have prayed in school, haven't we? Oh, God. Oh, God. If you could, just this one time, I guess, if I don't, help, please help me. I just, people pray better when they're desperate. Students all over the world pray every day in school. He was recognizing the tendency that all of us have when facing desperate times, which is to resort to prayer. And as it turns out, in the human condition, when we are faced with something that is really big and, and really overwhelming, it drives us to prayer. It's like a man short on oxygen will gasp for air or the woman who's falling will reach for something to grab on. Uh, it's like a man uh, trying to survive because he, he knows if God doesn't intervene, he may not make it. And so he prays. The war in Ukraine currently has elicited incredible material support, massive calls to prayer. And it's because we pray better when we're desperate. In desperate times, people pray. I love the quote from Dallas Willard. If you look on the screen, this might help you. He said, I can tell you God's address. He can always be found at the end of your rope. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? So true. So God's original design, can, may I rehearse with you just for a moment? God's original design was to put a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, in this pristine environment, the Garden of Eden, and he wanted to spend eternity with them. God fully intended that Adam and Eve would live forever in this pristine environment, and he wanted to be an intimate fellowship with us forever. That's his vision. That's his goal. And, of course, Adam and Eve rejected God's vision. Uh, they suffered the fall, then the flood, then the Tower of Babel, and then God has an idea. I will continue to reach for my vision by establishing a nation, uh, a nation of people who will model for the rest of the world, what a connection with me looks like, and ultimately become the vehicle through which Messiah Emmanuel, Jesus of Nazareth, will come. The Savior of the world will be born through this nation. And so God calls a guy named Abraham. 
And Abraham has a guy named Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, who preserves the people in Egypt, and then comes Moses, who delivers them out of Egypt after 430 years. Then a guy named um, Joshua takes over and run, runs a military campaign, and, and the land of Canaan is, is possessed over the period of 40 years. Then the period of the judges, another 400 years. Then a period of the kings. And we know that the, the pinnacle of the kingdom years, the monarchy, was under David and Solomon. And so we come to the end of Solomon's reign, and then because the next in line cannot agree and there's, there's sin and compromise and idolatry, the kingdom divides. And so now we have this divided kingdom. And last week we talked about the northern kingdom and today this, the southern kingdom of Judah. And we pick up the story where Hezekiah now is the king of Judah. This is about 700 years before Jesus, 700 BC. And the kingdom to the north, Israel, has already been overwhelmed and overrun by the greatest empire of the day called Assyria. And the Assyrian empire was the, was the superpower of the day and they had over come. They had deported all the Jews out of the northern kingdom and imported Assyrians uh, into, into, this, into the land. And here's Judah uh, is left there in the southern kingdom. And Assyria is this massive superpower just to the north who could swallow them up anytime they want. And so it's in that context that the king of Judah, Hezekiah, receives a threatening letter from the king of Assyria. His name is Sennacherib. And it is a devastating letter. Uh, as I mentioned, Assyria has this overwhelming force, and this letter threatens to take them over. We pick up the story there in 2 Kings 19. Look at the screen. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. Now, here's our friend Isaiah we've just learned a bit about. They told him... This is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray. So Sennacherib has sent his officials with this letter to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and it's very threatening. We're coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. So the officials grab Isaiah the prophet, and they update him, and their summary statement is, therefore, pray. Pray that the remnant survives. Pray that God will do something to help us, or we're doomed. The story continues. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. <laughs> Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Well, now that's pretty easy to say. I don't be afraid. Okay. All right. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. When he, Sennacherib, the king of, of Assyria, hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. So Isaiah the prophet says, listen, something's going to happen 
that's going to send Sennacherib home, and once he gets home, he's going to be killed. Wow, that's quite a, that's quite a word. So we, we pick up the story in verse 8. Now Sennacherib sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. In other words, I've heard that your prophet is suggesting that we're not going to take care of you guys. Well, you can't count on that, and you can't rely on your God to save you from me because I'm coming. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? And then the list of gods and kings that the Assyrians have overcome and nobody stopped them. So what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah goes to prayer. Now remember, this is a righteous king. We can learn something from this boy. 2 Kings chapter 19. Hezekiah received this letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, you're the God of Israel enthroned between the cherub. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? What can we learn from Hezekiah about his prayer life? Here's the first thing we can learn. This is the take-home from today's message. Number one, we go to God first. We go to God first. When Hezekiah gets this final threatening letter from Sennacherib saying, listen, none of the other kingdoms I've attacked have been delivered by their gods, and your God's not going to deliver you either. You're doomed. You're done. And what does Hezekiah do? The first thing he does, does he call his officials? Does he call his priests? Does he call his counselors? Does he go straight to the prophet Isaiah? No. The first thing he does is he marches right down to the temple, and he takes this letter, and he rolls it out right on the altar, steps back and says, God, this was addressed to me, but I'm sure it was meant for you. <laughs> Look what this guy's saying about you. Look what this guy's threatening toward you. Lord, you're the king of the, of the world. You've made it all, land and sea. What are you going to do about this? It's a great prayer. And so Hezekiah addresses God. And he has the right perception of God. He knows God is great and he's grand and he's awesome and he, he can intervene. But if we have a perception of God that's weak, listen to me, we will hesitate to go to him first. This is what's happening in America right now. People are running in every direction except to God. Should be the first move. Should be the first step. Should be the first direction. It's to go to him and to go to him in prayer. If you're a person who likes to have control over your life, well, thanks, God, I'll, I'll let you know if I need any help. I got this, no problem. If you're one of those kinds of persons who like control, you won't have much time for prayer because you've got the wrong perspective on who is in control and who's got the capacity to do something about change. 
So we go to God first. Then here's the second thing we learned from Hezekiah about prayer, and that is we go to God just as we are. There's no pretense in this prayer. Hezekiah is honest before God. Hezekiah lays this letter out from the king of Assyria, and he says, read it for yourself, Lord. I mean, look at it. He's threatening you. He's overrun many peoples, and now he's threatening you. Well, and us. <laughs> what are you going to do? Look at C.S. Lewis's comment about this subject. He said, we need to lay before God what is in us and not what we think ought to be in us. So let me ask you this. Do you have, do you have a special pious prayer tone when you pray? Are you one of those special intonations? Do you, do you manufacture emotions when you pray? Oh, God, you know, you know, I, I do my best. I try my, I try my hardest, but, uh, you know, Lord, you know, and you gin it up, you know, trying to get God's sympathy somehow. Do you do that? I'm just curious. Oh, God. Thou who art merciful, patient, long-suffering. Be merciful to me. Thou sir. This makes me nervous doing this. <laughs> I feel like something bad's going to happen. Bam! There goes the pastor. What happened to him? Wasn't being sincere in prayer. God whacked him. It's bad. Listen, the best way to pray is to allow the real you to actually show up in the moment. You say, Pastor, I just don't know how to pray. Sure you do. You know how to talk. Do you know how to be in a conversation? You do it with people all the time. That's how you talk to God. Authentic, sincere, heartfelt. Just be yourself. Well, if I'm myself, you know, I curse a lot. God can manage that. Just let her rip. Just be yourself. Seriously. Just talk normal. And God will hear you. I had lunch with my, our 10-year-old grandson a week ago Saturday. We went to his soccer game, and then it's, it's, it was just uh, Noah and I at Wendy's. And I'm watching Noah pound down his second little container of eight nuggets and one of those large Frosties, you know, at Wendy's. And he finished his last nugget, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> and he literally tipped the, the Frosty cup up with a spoon and just, you know, got the last few drops out of it. And I said, and he set it down. And he looked at me and his eyes were kind of big. I said, how do you feel? And he said, I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I said, that seems reasonable. You could, that may happen. I said, what's your, I said, how many, how many days of school you have left? And he said, five. He said, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we're out. That's, I said, that's great. Good for you. I said, what's your favorite subject in school? I've never asked him. He went, Recess. I said, what a coincidence. That's the same thing that was my favorite when I was in fifth grade. What's your second favorite subject? He went, lunch. <laughs> it's just a miracle. That is exactly my favorite things. I said, do you, do you have a favorite like, subject in, cl in class? And he went, uh, gym. <laughs> he finally said, I like reading. Okay, there you go. You enjoy reading. That's good. Keep that up. I said, what about math and science? He said, no. 
that was a that was a quick no. That interchange that I had with Noah is how we should pray. Just honest. Just straightforward. Just be yourself. Let me say something to you, parents. We need to teach our children how to pray. We need to teach our children how to pray. Because you know what's going to happen. Life is going to happen. Life is going to happen. And they're going to need to know how to pray. Teach them how to pray. Here's a take home, just a simple acronym that you can use for, for a prayer, prayer list. And it's based on the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. See those words, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication? A-C-T-S, very, very simple. The adoration is the wow, just tell God how great he is. Confession is sorry for all the things, mistakes I've made. Thanksgiving is saying thanks. And supplication is the help. Help. So I put those in your notes so you can take those home. Teach your children how to pray. Just use the word, the word acts. Four simple steps. And it'll give you a, a nice prayer, prayer life. Shortly after this prayer, Hezekiah prayed. The Assyrian army was amassed just to the north of Judah, ready to come through and annihilate everyone. But God sent an angel into the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 men in one night. They woke up the next day, and 185,000 of them were dead. And what the prophet Isaiah had foretold came to pass. And Acherab said, I think I'll go home for a while. And when he was home, as the prophet predicted, Sennacherib's two sons drew their sword and murdered their own father. And that was the end of that. Listen to me. The God we serve calls us to prayer. He hears our prayers. And he answers our prayers. So you be encouraged to follow this model of the righteous king Hezekiah in prayer. Amen? All right, now we're going to pause and pray. But just as we're praying, I'm going to invite everyone who's participating in the baptism this morning, make your way to the front. So as they're coming, don't let that distract you from the prayer. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we simply come to you this morning with gratitude for this amazing story. So much we can learn. Lord, help us, help us to see you as you are. So great, so grand, so amazing. Give us, give us a, a picture of who you are in the world and help us to be submitted to that wonderful vision. And Lord, as it comes to moments when we are in need, remind us to go to you first. You're our first stop. We go to prayer. Thank you for this model that Hezekiah provides for us, that in the face of overwhelming odds, his first move was toward you. So help us to follow this pattern. And Lord, as we come to you, remind us that we can just come authentically, honestly, 
heartfelt, sincere. We can just be ourselves. Thank you for that wonderful invitation. Now bless those who are coming to be baptized this morning. Thank you for your hand on their lives and for the wonderful blessing it is to give witness to this sacred act. In all these ways and these things we ask in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen, amen.